Welcome to episode 18 of the Naked Security Podcast. I'm producer Alice, back on the mic this week. I'm starting to quite enjoy hosting. Maybe we should get rid of Anna altogether. Yeah, I'm up oh, for that. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> You'll never hear the end of it. Also, it's a lot of work. Um, sorry we abandoned you last week. I was away, and so I carefully organised for someone to edit and for the guests to be on. And then miraculously, everybody was hit with the podcast lurking. We had no guests. I don't know that it's miraculous to get the lurchy. But I think it was maybe that everybody was going to miss me too much, so the podcast didn't happen. I, was, didn't happen. I will say I was genuinely poorly. All That's right, my excuse. Sure. Peter, you were actually available. I was, available. I was, I was willing to work <laughs> a one and no one podcast. turned up. Yeah. So this week I'm joined by Paul Ducklin and Peter McKenzie. Hello, folks. Hello. We're talking about the future of the web, um, staying safe during the festive season and how to avoid crypto scams. So in the absence of Mark, it's going to be Alice's thought of the week this week, although I won't lie, I'm thoroughly in relying on you two giving me some discussion. Um, so Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the World Wide Web 30 years ago, is worried that... Sir Tim. Sir Tim, I did say Sir oh, did Tim. You, yeah, I? just, just yeah. reinforcing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's worried that his creation is turning into a digital dystopia. He's publicly spoken about his concern of the direction of the web, uh, and it's not hard to see why. We see governments enacting laws, mandating forms of mass surveillance, information control, large companies vacuuming up our data, and the rise of deep fake scams and malware, which are all the things that we're talking about all the time. Um, so to The Guardian, he said, I think people's fear of bad things happening on the internet is becoming just justifiably greater and greater if we leave the web where it is there's a large number of things that will go wrong it's not that we need a 10-year plan for the web we need to turn the web around now so after a year thinking about these problems with the World Wide Web Foundation and 80 other organisations, Berners-Lee has come up with uh, nine principles to try and turn things around. So three of these are for governments, three for companies and three for web citizens themselves. And Microsoft, Facebook, Twitter and Google are among some of the organisations who have already uh, signed up to them. So should I read some of these principles out? So from a government perspective, the first one is to ensure everyone can connect to the internet. Okay. Keep all of the internet available all of the time. And respect and protect people's fundamental online privacy and data rights. So by uh, by keep the internet online, that doesn't mean make sure that telephone companies don't let the fibres get broken. It presumably, where he's really going with that is freedom of access, that you I don't go, so. hey, you're not allowed to say this, you're not allowed to no do that, censorship. we're going to suppress this yeah. site. No great China wall, firewall, things like that, yeah. And I think that... But is there a lot of censorship in all countries, really, even in the UK? Well, I think censorship, it, that depends how you define censorship. Like, if you run your own blog and some people say, oh, you're, you're censoring things. Technically, only the government can perform censorship. It's where, you know, you can't talk about this political event or you can't talk about this, that or the other. Or you, you're not allowed to discuss Brexit, for example. That would be censorship. Or but I think the, the flip side of that is, I think... a. a a significant minority, a vocal minority, possibly even a majority of people on the internet, equally expect the government to do something to make sure that parts of the internet do get blacked out, blanked out. Um, for example, if they've got malware or phishing scams or investment scams that are getting you to give money to someone who shouldn't be asking, or people are running websites under false pretenses. Or so even the idea, just sorry. As, as simple as adult sites. And you're going, well, actually, I don't want my kids to be going to those sites. So I am happy if the government is stepping in to help me stop them visiting them. That is another form of censorship. I guess the problem there comes with the fact that then 
as as Alice mentioned, you know, that this idea that the governments, even in so-called Western democracies that have some kind of free speech. Um, for example, in the UK, the government insists that ISPs keep a record of the websites that you visit, not the individual pages, but, well, I went to this domain, that domain, the other domain, and then they keep that list and they put it in the cupboard because it could be useful in investigating terrorism in three years' yeah. time. At the same time, even if you trust the government entirely, even if you think, I don't really care if the government knows where I go, somebody has a cupboard full of history that is absolute gold dust to the side well, of and just in terms of adult websites, you say you don't want your children accessing them and you'd be happy for the government to censor those. But if that censorship was saying that you had to put in your name and details in order to access them, then we see data breaches all the Which time. Which is the other exactly. controversial part of that. that yeah. coming out. So exactly. People like the idea of free speech, but then at some point they go, actually, that's too far. Oh, yeah, because it impacts me. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, now I, like, I like the idea that, that um, governments or the public sector in the many countries of the world should go out of their way to to at least either bankroll themselves or to require companies like like telecommunications companies to make the internet available and affordable to very many people. Where I do have a problem with that being this kind of ubiquitous thing that the government shall provide, and we know that, I think, is it the Labour Party in the UK is is pitching this as a big election promise coming up in December, saying we're, we'll, we'll get high-speed broadband to everybody and, you know, no, no, no dead spots anymore. The, the risk of that is you, you, you may end up with a situation where the government goes, well, OK, because we've given everybody internet access, now the only way to interact with the public service is online via the internet. Right. Yeah. So if you don't have a computer or you don't want to buy one, are you are in 10 years' time, if those three things come to pass, are people who don't want, who would like to interact with a human going to have to go into a public library and use a borrowed computer to do things like tax returns, claim benefits, register their child's birth and stuff, which they might not want to do. That probably is the way that things are going. And I think although now we see a large population of people who maybe don't want to access the internet or can't access the internet, if we did all move towards this, that probably is the future. And it would just be the norm, like everything becomes a new normal and you just wouldn't expect to go and speak to a human. You would just do everything it online. May, it may well be that. But at the moment, there are people that are suffering in their daily lives. So the example you could say is, an older person, and right. I know I'm being generalising there, but an older person that isn't as okay with technology suddenly can't go to their bank anymore because it's closed down, and instead they provided an app that they suggest they use. Right. But that doesn't help them. Please wait. Your call is important to us. Yeah, exactly. You, you know. are 9,000th in the web Well, key. moving on. I mean, this is a good... This brings us on to the principles they're proposing for businesses. So one of them is make the internet affordable and accessible to everybody. But as we're saying, not everybody wants the internet. And also there are certain things, like if you're paying cash into the bank, for example, you still want, need to go into a branch. Um, the other one is respect and protect people's privacy and personal data to build online trust. And then finally, develop technologies that support the best in humanity and challenge the worst. Be nice to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as though you... you as Peter said when we were chatting about this earlier, you can't really be against that. No. I think the problem is that the thing missing from this, hey, the government will, will the government must make sure everyone gets online, companies must provide it close to free of charge, and then everyone can be expected to use the internet, we'll save loads of money, we won't need to drive everywhere... 
but who's thinking about security? And then finally, the three for citizens, which seem pretty basic, is be creators and collaborators collaborators on the web, build strong communities that respect civil discourse and human dignity, and fight for the web. No uh, online bullying. Basically. Yeah, basically. The thing that's not clear out of that principle is that Okay, so the government gets us online and companies are required to let it be free and now I have to become a collaborator. That's what I'm expected to do as a good digital citizen. Is that something that I'm then expected to do in my life even if I'm not really interested? Is it really that bad if you're just a consumer on the web? If all you want to do is go to online encyclopedias and look up and learn stuff, do you have to contribute? Yeah, I don't want to be a creator. Um, yeah, true. So I, I think that there are, as I said just now, that. The, I suspect that there may be a lot of kind of unintended consequences yes. out of this. So there's a government gone, hey, look, we gave you this internet, so jolly well use it. And you go, you know what, I don't and really care that And that is actually that an odd principle to have as the first one. They haven't put the first one as build strong communities and respect each other. It is be creators and collaborators, yeah. which is unusual, what actually, was the to third put a priority. One? Uh, the third one is fight for the web. So that one I, I can get behind because we may laugh at some of these and say, well, it's just people thinking happy thoughts. Right. But if there's no one doing this, then it's a lot easier for governments and companies to put in the censorships and, you know, these kind of restrictions we're talking about. So it is right that people are fighting for this. I mean, who, who signed up for it? You said it was Facebook and Google. Microsoft, Google, Twitter. And I think a few countries. But, of course, these are the kind of people that were already basically saying we're doing this right. anyway. You know, I don't see North Korea or no. Russia on the list, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's only going to work so well. Maybe maybe it's a good way of of getting people to think about things like GDPR, the rules in the European Union, that say, you know what, if you want to collect data about me, you have to have a jolly good reason, you have to justify it, yeah. and if you collect the data, then you have to look after it properly. Maybe it's a way of saying, uh, from, a, from a sort of social and cultural perspective, those laws aren't there actually just to get in the way. They're there because you need some stick to go with the carrot to build a better yeah, it's digital society. It's a framework society. to start yeah. with, yeah. yeah. So I think that there may be some people look at that and go, but I don't want to use the web. I guess what we're looking here, this is Sir Tim talking. He invented the web. He's all about the web, making the web better. And yeah, so the idea that fight for the web, you know, I think that is important. The idea that, well, you can't do this and you can do that. Or if you use the Tor browser to anonymize yourself online, the idea that you must ipso facto be up to shady practices. You know, we need to fight that. That That is nonsense. No. You may wish to be anonymous yeah. simply because you want to be anonymous and you right. don't want to be tracked by marketing companies. And you, yeah. you want to have a look like you could in the old days without everything you do being tracked and traced. So... Like Peter said earlier, I don't think you can kind of be against this, but watch out for the unintended consequences right. if it all works well, out. Well, it'd be interesting to see what our listeners think. Let us know on Twitter. Do you think these principles are a good idea? They're worthwhile? Let us know what your thoughts are. Um, but that's all we've got time for on that. So we'll move on to you, Peter. So with Black Friday, Cyber Monday and the festive season for many of us upon us, uh, there is the risk of typo squatting and fishing. And it's a good time of year to have a reminder about what we should be aware of. Yeah. Buy this now! Buy this yeah. really now! And of course, I mean, these risks are here all year round, mm. but 
there's more of us doing this last minute shopping and things like that at the moment. So um, some of this research comes from a security firm called Vanathi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, they have looked into what's referred to as typo squatting. So the idea that you have a website like PayPal and it's spelt one letter different or, you know, it's designed to trick a casual observer into thinking this is the real site. And of course, you get the little padlock and the HTTPS. It's, you know, it's got a TLS certificate tricking a user into thinking it is safe. So I think before we get into any of the details, let's just cover TLS certificates. What does that padlock mean? What does the S mean? Um, because as recently as June this year, the FBI even warned that a lot of people just assume that S and that padlock means it's safe. And that isn't what it Would means Would you say that's all. kind of done a bit more damage than good? Because it is giving people a false sense of security. It, it, it's exactly that. It does do a lot of mm. good, you know, uh, but people misunderstand what good it is doing. So right. all it really does is mean the traffic from you to that website is encrypted. So people can't snoop on that traffic en route. En route. But And even perhaps even more importantly, they can't inject fake content on the way back so that you see yes. malware instead of a real download or a transaction that failed when it actually yeah. went through, etc., etc. But... All it is doing is that. It has no relevance to who the person is on the other end. If they're a criminal, you're just securely talking to a criminal. It doesn't prove that they are Amazon or anything like that. In that sense, it does benefit the crooks because mm -hmm. it means that other crooks can't stop yeah, what exactly. they're doing or jump right, in. And they yeah. don't want anyone else stealing your money. They want to take it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um what the, this Venefi firm's uh, done the research on is they've looked at some of the top retailers in the UK and Germany and the US, and they've sort of compiled a list. We don't entirely know how they've come up with this list, but they've compiled a list of what they consider authentic TLS certificates for genuine retailers. Okay. And that number is at 19,890 is what they came up with. Then they went and looked at fake certificates for ones that are believed to look similar to the real retailers. And that number stands at 109,045. So four or five times higher fake sites or fake certificates pretending to be real sites wow. than actual real sites. Now, I know one of the questions, so we refer to this as typo squatting. And I've talked to people about this and they say, well, I don't actually type in a domain no. anymore. You know, I, I maybe I put the first few letters into the address bar and it autofills or I type in the company and then I click on the link. And that is true. A lot of us do it that method. A lot of people do still type in the full domain and are therefore potentially going to make a typo. But a lot of this stuff, these sites you get to from the spam emails, the offers that are too good to be true because they aren't. And you end up on these sites, you know, last minute Christmas shopping. You don't realise it's a fake site. It's got the padlock. It's called PayPal. You know, you, you <laughs> think it's, yeah. you know, in the moment you're saying, well, it's, it's Christmas Eve. I've got to get this booked now. Um, so people fall for them. And it, we've done our own research on this in the past. And I think Doug here was part of that research. Um, and we looked at... Visited a lot of sites. Yes, you did. Um, what's actually... What did you find? What were on these sites? Well, this was several years ago. So at that time, I was more interested in typo squatting in the sense of typing mistakes. In other words, where you might accidentally type the character next to the one that, that's on the keyboard and 
inadvertently visit the wrong site. But as you say, the typo squatting isn't just about when you type it in, it's also about what it looks like if you click on a link. When you read it, if you don't notice that there's a typo in there, then you might believe it's a real site whether you've clicked on the link. So I was more interested in where you might actually make a typing mistake. So I took a very conservative approach. I only, I took six domains, um, Facebook, Twitter, Microsoft. I added Sophos for good measure. And I did all one character misspellings. So leave out a letter, add a letter, change a letter. That's all I did. And it was amazing how many of those domains had been registered. So in other words, crooks are relying either on you making a typing mistake or having a domain that if they send you a link and you click on it, and then you go and inspect the domain in the address bar in your browser, it kind of looks good enough that you don't notice. Um, what I didn't do is I didn't try anything with some of the techniques that have come out more recently where you don't. So I was looking at, you know, you might put face Zook instead of Facebook. But of course, these days, there are all sorts of other tricks you can use using uh, alphabets that aren't ASCII characters or, or Latin characters, like A's with little dots, or use a Greek alpha instead of a Latin A, or use a Russian A. So in other words, you've got these, you've got characters that look really, really similar, or you have mm. You know, like an uppercase I as an L instead of an I. Exactly. Yeah. So it wasn't just. So it wasn't just simple. It, it's not necessarily just simple spelling mistakes. It's things that look kind of unless you actually copy and paste and investigate the character codes, it will look right. But even with one character changes, it was amazing how many domains had been registered. Now, I didn't imagine that Sophos was the kind of because we don't sell a lot of stuff online. It wouldn't. I've imagined it would be we would be seriously typo squatted. I just put in there us in there for comparison. So the big name sites, the Microsoft, the Microsofts, the Twitters, etc., they had eighty percent or more of the potential one character misspellings have been registered. But even Sophos, we had about twenty percent really? misspellings wow. just on the word Sophos. So do big companies like but, Amazon ever go through and register these URLs themselves? So that well, they- you can. Like if you go to you, uh, thinking of Google, I think they've got Google, Google, and Google with three O's, for example. No. But there's a limit to how m- yes, much you can do yeah. because, for example, it. I was only looking at the one character differences. Mm-hmm. If you had to maintain domains for all of those, even for Sophos, you're looking at thousands. It just becomes impractical. It's an, and it's an ugly way of solving the problem. Mm. Let's register domains that actually, by right, shouldn't exist. Mm. Now, technically, the people who issue domain names, they're not supposed to issue domains that obviously appear to be geared towards fraud. So if you tried to oh, register right. PayPal with a four, they're supposed to say, no, 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 you're, obviously your intention is to mislead. Yeah, which goes back to Tim Berners-Lee's principles. You know, yeah. it's on companies as well to try and yeah. do the right thing. Yeah. But, of course, you could register paypal-payments-online.com or you could register something that it just kind of looks r- right. good enough that when you click and you see the padlock, you think, well, secure site, That's a good, you need that. The, d- the, the name looks okay. I'll go with it. Yeah. So it, but please, you say that people are less typing in the whole URL now. Do you think we will just move towards it? Obviously, you still access these sites through emails and adverts, etc. But do you think there would be a way in the future where you wouldn't be landing on these fake URLs? Uh, well, install antivirus? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, you're not yeah. wrong. A, a, a good web filtering mm. solution on, on yeah. an endpoint on a mobile or, or a laptop means that if you type in a domain that you know looks fishy, right. then don't let the person even go to the domain at all. Right. Don't So forget HTTP, forget mm. HTTPS, just go, uh-oh, that domain exists, but we're going to block it mm. off. 
and a little get, bit the opposite of the idea of free and open access to the internet. Yeah. You, if you if it's if it's not the government imposing, not censorship, you can choose to use software that will detect that you're about to visit a domain that is either known or probably bad, and actually prevents you doing anything, whether whether it's email, file downloads, HTTP access, or whatever. Yeah. And and if we go back to the the whole padlock and the S. Um, so in this research, they also identified that 60% of these fake certificates, well, not fake certificates, uh, fake shops, uh, were all freely acquired from a company called, or an organisation called Let's Encrypt. They are basically an automated certificate generation, uh, generating organisation that just pumps out thousands of certificates every day, every, you know, all the time. Uh, we even, I think we did research in 2017, was it 2017? Yeah, 2017, where we found 15,000 fake PayPal certificates from Let's Encrypt. So it is very easy for crooks to get hold of these certificates. It doesn't cost them anything. And and that's not a bad thing, right? I, I no. think that collectively, at Naked Security, we're in favour of organisations like Let's Encrypt because the barrier to having the padlock at all that prevents people snooping and tampering with your web stuff, regardless of whether it's trustworthy at the other end, the barrier was that you would have to pay, say, even if it was $10 a year, there was this ongoing pain that you had every year you had to come up with the money and put in a credit card and buy a certificate and wait, and, and it was a big hassle. So Let's Encrypt said, what we will do is we will generate certificates that prove that you have the ability to modify this website so you are in control of it. So I I use one on my own website at home because it's easy to do. It lasts for three months, but I can automatically renew it every three months. I don't have to keep... It's not that I begrudged someone the money. It's just really a hassle if you have to keep going through this making a payment. So it's good that they do this, but it's not surprising that the crooks have gone, hey, if this is designed to be automated, we control this website. We set it up. We didn't need to hack the real PayPal. We just got a lookalike domain. We own that domain. We're supposed to be allowed to manipulate the website, we'll use it the manipulation of the website to get the certificate, and then after we've got the certificate, we'll fill the website with with bogus garbage. Yeah, we're definitely not having a go at the padlock here. The padlock is a good thing. We just need to make sure people understand what it is doing and what it isn't doing. I think that's a good point because you know it used to be that well, HTTP was bad because it's insecure, and HTTPS is good because it's secure and safe. All it means is actually HTTPS relies on a thing called. TLS, which is transport layer security. It means the connection is secure. It doesn't say anything about the morality, the ethics, or the legality of the content on the site you're visiting. Okay, so what advice can you give people to avoid being caught in these scams? Well, for your the regular sites you may go and do your Christmas shopping at, the obvious answer is a password manager. So right. the password manager has the benefit of creating nice, strong passwords for you, but it also automatically fills them in to the sites that you've told it, this is the password for Amazon, this is the password for Facebook. So if you go to a site that isn't one of them, it is not going to put your password in. And immediately you realise there is something dodgy going on here. Mm-hmm. So that works great for the type of sites you visit a lot. Mm. Of course, at Christmas, you might be visiting shops that you've never seen before. That gets a bit more complicated. Um, The advice there is just have a look at the URL, make sure it's not obviously trying to be someone else. And if you're going to maybe find these URLs through emails and stuff, I mean, first of all, if it's too good to be true, it's a scam, just general rule. Um, But also take their company name, put it into 
a generic search engine and, you know, have a look at the results and see, you know, does it look like there is a real company, a real website there? And maybe click on that link rather than the one they have given you. One other thing, of course, if you have been impacted by one of these scams, or you think you might have been, then of course you can report these things to the police. Uh, if you found a website that you believe is a phishing site, then I mean, if you're a Sophos customer, you can search Sophos uh, submit a sample, you'll find our page for doing it. If you're in the UK, you could report it to Action Fraud. If you're in the US, you go to the Internet Crime Complaint Centre. And of course, that, by the way, that's really easy to remember. It's ic3.gov. ic3.gov, yeah. The, the C3 is CCC. Crime Complaint Centre. Yeah, just don't make a typo. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, nice and short, so it is yeah. easy to remember. And of course, you know, check your bank statements and if you spot anything suspicious, report it to your bank. Okay, great. Thank you, Peter. So moving on to Dirk, we've given a bit of extra time for this story this week because when we were planning it, there's so much to unpack with it. So as we were saying with Peter, there's people, you know, going on to sites they wouldn't usually visit in order to maybe save some money. Exactly. And we wrote a story last week on Naked Security about people who were investing in a cryptocurrency that didn't even exist. Um, so, Dirk, can you tell us what the story is? Yes, this is... This is big news at the moment. Uh, it, a little bit like buses, you know, you stand at the bus stop and the bus, nothing comes and nothing, and then three buses come at once because that's the nature of traffic. And that's what happened. I decided I'd write, a, write an advice piece for Naked Security. You can find it if you search for why crypto coin scams work. Right. Uh, and the reason I was minded to write this is this was a... Com comparatively small scale, probably only involved millions of dollars, <laughs> that small scale, yeah. uh, in the US where the guy, the guy who ran it did get busted, did get prosecuted, and he has actually gone to prison for 18 months. Whether people get their money back remains to be seen. But I thought that's a success story that shows that even people who think they're going to, be, they, they're going to hide 18 online... 18 months isn't a long sentence, though. No, it, I, I guess it, I, it, that depends on you know, how many people are impacted and how much money. Right. He, I did think, gosh, it sounds like he got... A short time. I understand this was the Department of the Federal Department of Justice. My understanding is there is no early release with right, federal okay. sentences in the US. So he will get, he's got 18 months, mm -hmm. he will serve 18 okay. months. But will he have the money at the end of it? Well, that's a, the open question, isn't it? But no sooner had we published that, the news broke of arrests relating to a similar scam, but on a much more audacious scale. And many people will have heard this, particularly if you live in the UK, where a lot of people have been impacted in, in a very negative way by this. And the BBC has been doing some digging to try and find out what's going on. And this is a thing called OneCoin. Um, that was a very similar scam. So the, the, the one uh, in the US that, that I wrote about was called RECoin. Uh, it was run by a guy called Maxim Zaslavsky, I hope I pronounced his name correctly. He's the guy who went to prison for 18 months. Um, the one coin was a similar idea, but where we're talking about thousands of millions of dollars that right, people okay. have allegedly invested. Or billions, potentially. Thousands it? of millions are billions. I'm, I was okay, being, being unambiguous there. Billions sounds more impressive. Given that at least some of the victims were in Germany, and I believe that the, the woman who was, who was the, the high-flying person hasn't been seen for the last two years, who was running the scam is from Bulgaria, I wanted to be where the word billion generally means 10 to the power 12. I thought it would be unambiguous. Okay. Oh, it's I, lots so and lots and lots woman, of money. So with this woman, tell me the story, because I found this so fascinating then. So this operated like... Ruja Ignatova. Yes. Doc 
doctor, apparently the only, as far as we can make out, and I'm, this is all allegedly, yeah. the doctor is real. Right. It's the rest that's that. Okay. <laughs> her persona, she's larger than life. Yeah. She did speeches. She did a she did a big press at Wembley Arena, didn't she? That's crazy. She? Yeah. With thousands of people who want to invest. Now, you can imagine, in the old days, these people might have been the kind of people who would be minded to invest in timeshare. Right. And we know that back in the day of timeshare, there were timeshare scams where you buy shares in an apartment block, a holiday building that hadn't been built yet and it never would get built and the people would vanish with the money. And those were quite elaborate scams to pull off. You know, you had to have an office, you had to have fake building plans, you had to show people photographs of a building site. The thing here is, apart from this woman travelling around and giving the big spiel and hiring the venues, all that really backs it is a bunch of cryptocurrency jargon, mention of this amazing thing called the blockchain, mm -hmm. which is a distribute, basically a blockchain is a distributed community operated database that that can't be forged even though there isn't a single authority. Mm -hmm. That's all really a blockchain is. It's, it's a way of keeping, for example, financial records where you don't need to go to a bank or a credit card company. As a result, kind of unregulated, okay. very unregulated in most countries. And people have seen that there have been cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, for example, which started off 10 years ago. It was just enthusiasts mining these Bitcoins, doing these cryptographic calculations and maybe trading them for, for sweeties or something. And they weren't, didn't really have much value. Uh, and then suddenly they were worth $10 and then $100. And then everyone got really interested when Bitcoins are worth $1,000. And then they went up to $20,000. So people who bought at $1,000 made 20x their investment. Right. But what everyone knows is actually the people who really, really allegedly made money out of the Bitcoins are the people who had thousands of them when they were worth zero. So in other words, the thing about a cryptocurrency is that a lot of people have in their mind that the way to true riches is not to invest when they're on the way right. up, but to invest right at the very, very beginning. And they can evidence in these talks that she was giving around the world that this did happen. Exactly. They, they'll Look at the Bitcoin price graph. It goes right. flat, 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 flat. And now it's quite volatile between, say, 3000 and $12,000. Well, that's an understatement. But, yeah. but, but when you think that there was apparently a guy who, who, who went by the handle Mr. Smoke Too Much, I presume it's a Monty Python joke, uh, who apparently he'd, he'd, he had 10,000 Bitcoins that he'd mined in the early days when you could do that on a few computers at home. And you couldn't really do anything with them. And he figured, hey, I want to try and make some real money out of this. So he put them up for sale, apparently, online. And he wanted $50. And he couldn't <laughs> for 10,000 Bitcoins. And nobody wanted to buy them. This oh is 10 my. years ago. And then about a year later, they were worth a dollar each. So he's going, hey, I nearly saw them for 50 bucks. Now they're worth 10,000. Now they're worth more like hundreds of millions. So when a new cryptocurrency comes along, there's a lot of jargon that suggests, well, there's all this cryptography involved and it's secure and that, you know, Bitcoin's secure because of all this stuff. And you can go and read the paper and maybe you won't understand it, but you'll see that, that there's this whole community operated ledger that means that people can't rip you off. So it feels like a sound investment. Right. Mm. Also, it's very complicated for people who are just in a get rich quick scheme going to see this talk at Wembley are kind of trusting her expertise and her kind of bamboo them with all this terminology that they don't understand. And the really nasty part when it comes to the reason why when I wrote the article for Naked Security, I talked about crypto coins rather than cryptocurrencies is that's the big pitch. 
it's a thing called an ICO, an initial coin offering. And it's a name that's it's kind of borrowed from the stock market world, where when a private company wants to go public, they put together what's called an IPO, an initial public offering. So when Facebook went public, there was an IPO in which there was a chance for people members of the public who didn't work for Facebook to invest in Facebook shares for the very first time. So you're not getting in when Facebook has one guy or two guys, you're getting in in a company that you think this thing's going to grow, but an IPO, it's still known as that's the way that real investors make money. You get in early, you hold the shares for a long time, they'll probably go up. That's the theory. It may not always happen. Or because of all the excitement, you buy, you buy at the beginning and you sell quickly because they, they surge. Right. So what the coin scammers have done is they said, well, we'll talk about an initial coin offering. There's no regulation. There's no stock market looking after it. You don't have to register. There's no silent period. There are no laws on what you can say because it's just a name, initial coin offering. I'm going to invent a cryptocurrency. And when I do, I'll make sure that you you have a thousand of my new coins when it starts. So people are literally buying something that does not exist yet. It's not just that they're saying we exactly. have a cryptocurrency like a Kickstarter that you can <laughs> buy of. that exists. There are they're actually saying you can buy a cryptocurrency that doesn't even exist yet. And it's it's kind of like that's the strength of and the investment. And does that ever work? Is there cases where people can buy cryptocurrencies that haven't been oh, I'm sure they're not all scams, yet. but, I mean, it's a lot easier to do a scam than yeah. actually make your own cryptocurrency. The problem here is that with with the right marketing, with the right glitzy front woman like right. the OneCoin guys seem to have, with with the right sort of website, with the right marketing materials, you can look much more believable than the old days timeshare scammers selling apartments that didn't yeah. exist and would never get built or were being built by somebody else. So the pictures you saw of the building were, they, it's, it didn't actually belong to the people selling it. This is different. The, the whole idea is this cryptocurrency doesn't exist yet. You're, you're investing in the early days. And it, unfortunately, it's surprisingly easy to come up with a glitzy sounding pitch, but it's also surprisingly easy and inexpensive to come up with a website that's very believable. Yeah. And even if you say, yes, the currency is now trading, you can show what look like trades. And anyone who's had a little dabble in Bitcoin or Monero or Ether or currencies like that will know there are sites you can go to that show you well, this guy, this guy bought a Bitcoin, this guy sold it, this transaction, and you see the transaction, they're all anonymous. You, so you don't need real names. Mm. You just need like cryptographic hash, you just random strings of digits. And this guy spent three and a half and that guy spent four and a quarter. And so it's really easy. Actually, when we did a uh, Naked Security Live video about this last week mm. and, and Harry, who was interviewing me, said, it seems like you could just go to a legit cryptocurrency and just look at their transactions yeah. and, and you'll just get, so the timing will seem legitimate. You just change the values and change the numbers and it'll all, it all looks fantastic. And of course, what you can do is not only do you have someone with the gift of the gab who will fill Wembley Arena and pitch this to people or put in a thousand bucks each. There was a case of a woman in, in, in Scotland. She put in, she started with about a thousand pounds and she figured this was fantastic and eventually she she put in more and more money. And of course, what you're doing is typical pyramid scheme. You're getting those people say, hey, this is so great. Go and get your family and friends involved. And she ended up going to friends and family and she, in, she I 
believe she feels pretty bad about yeah, it now, as you can awful. imagine. She got oh. other people to put in another 250000 No. And, of course, it worked out well for her because she got a payout, apparently. That uh. she got, hey, guess what? Because you're an early adopter, you, you can't withdraw the, say, whatever it is, I'm mm-hmm. making the numbers up, the 5000 that you put in, but you've already made £1,800. Right. Here it is and paid it mm-hmm. to her. And, of course... She's just getting some of her own money back, or worse, someone else's money. Yeah, because right. she's looking at her balance, thinking, "Wow, so I put in five thousand. You've told me I made another thousand. You're giving me that thousand, so I've still got my five thousand. Yeah. But in reality, they've just given you. And she probably gives that thousand straight back. Exactly. It. That's in fact what she did. She said, "Okay." And they said, "By the way, if you want to, you can just reinvest." And you know, there there are a lot of. People who've ever had things like stock options or, 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 or traded in stock will know you can do that, that you, you know, well, I've got these stock options, mm. I can convert them to stock and sell them, or I can convert them to stock and keep mm. them. So it kind of feels like the real deal, except when you trade on the stock market, there are rules and regulations and there's a, there's a, there's a law around it and people who trade stocks have to register. And for all that there might be jiggery-pokery from time to time, there is at least some kind of regulatory vehicle, but there's none of that with ICOs. And that's pitched as part of its strength. You can get on on something that the man can't control. Yeah. Then. And this will be bigger than the banks want it to be. And you can be in at the beginning. Just give right. us your money. Yeah. We're ahead of the law. You can make your get rich scheme ahead of all the other, the banks, all the, wow. the people, you know. And I guess with these people that get the fake payout, um, do they like target them? Do they see somebody who's going to be quite influential, who maybe has a lot of friends and family who are in the same sort of demographic? To be honest, I've never run a pyramid scam, <laughs> so I but don't I imagine know. that they would. There yes. must be some reason that they give somebody a thousand pound or somebody 20 grand or something because they're going to go and tell everybody. If you've signed up and you've said, yeah, I can bring new people, you know, they're, they're yes. also, if you think of, of legal pyramid selling schemes, which the, 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 the people who run them don't like them to be called pyramid schemes, but they're sort of pyramid because there's one person at the top who has runs 100 people who each run 100 people who run 100 people selling stuff, whether it's makeup or cleaning materials or, or you know, household products, whatever it is. There are loads of these. They are legit. Some people don't like them because they think they get too big. There's too much pressure on the people at the bottom to sell, but at least they are actually selling a product. But if you run the same scheme, and the idea there is that people who are better at selling, you help them move up the pyramid. So they're making more money, they're happier, and they're bringing new people in and they're getting new people to sell more more stuff to more people. And you reward them by giving them bigger discounts and letting them make more money. So if you just copy that model, but actually you're trading in nothing. So there's no supply, there's no demand, there's no product, there's no actual investment. And that was the trick that we wrote about when talking about the one, co- the, not one coin, the RE coin. That guy's hook was, you know what? Bitcoin made loads of money. And everyone knows that. And you can see that the people who got in the beginning made the most. And despite that, Bitcoin was only backed by this digital blockchain thing. So I'm going to go one better. I'm going to build something that works like Bitcoin. The man can't regulate it. You can get in at the beginning. It uses this cryptographic blockchain, which you can see is secure. And what I'm going to do, because you're paying in at the beginning, I'm going to use that money to invest in real estate. He called it RE coin. So you can imagine why somebody, instead of being, instead of thinking this is obviously a scam, is thinking, you know what, Bitcoin made money when it was kind of backed just by people's willingness to trust it. This is Bitcoin again, and even if that bit fails, there's the real estate right. behind it. Except, of course, 
he never bought the real estate. That was all a pack of lies. That's why he went to prison. It was getting people to give up money for something that there was no supply, there was no demand, there was no product. He wasn't selling, he was just taking your money and ran off with it. So with OneCoin, how did this sort of fall apart? How did they get found to be fake in the end? Well, my understanding is that the, the the story that we that Lisa wrote about on Naked Security about the OneCoin story was not about the the founders. It was about the fact that a a chap by the name of Mark Scott was prosecuted in the US. He was a lawyer, mm. and the allegations against him were you laundered money for these guys in return, essentially for people who got nothing. And so you were processing money that you had no idea where it came from. You had no idea what it's for, $400 million. So he's in a world of trouble. He's facing a massive prison sentence. Um, And apparently they nabbed the brother of the front woman in the US when he was trying to leave Los Angeles. Now, so the story goes, he agreed to cooperate with the authorities in return for immunity from prosecution for the money laundering side. But he could still face charges for... uh, tax that he hasn't paid. So he could still be in trouble because he's been handling money and he's made money out of it. Um, But he's obviously given away information about some of the inside bits of how all this money moves around. But as far as I know, well, the main telltale sign, I think it was the BBC who went digging into this. They found this guy who was offered a, I forget his name. He was a cryptocurrency expert. Yeah and, yeah, and they offered him the job of a lifetime, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. I think it was was it two hundred and fifty two hundred and fifty large a year apartment and car, mm. and all he had to do. Two, this was some considerable time after they'd started taking investments. All he had to do was basically build their blockchain. So, in other words, he quickly realised if they haven't got a blockchain and they haven't got this distributed database, then they don't have any transactions of any sort, fraudulent. They don't have Whoa. anything. They don't, it's, it's like a bank that doesn't even have a vault. Right. Yeah, they've just taken money, oh basically. My and so he figured, no, thank you. Um, so do you think then that there was, they were thinking that they were going to actually make a cryptocurrency then? Who knows? I, yeah, I, I mean, It was so successful that they thought she, maybe the we woman, should. The woman has disappeared. Okay. Um, they'd made thousands of millions by that point <laughs> uh, you know uh, you if you were considering this to be a scam I mean you've got the money to try and go well let's see if we can get out of this because this has got probably far bigger than they ever thought it was going to get so yeah why not try and make it as far it as real? I know nobody's got their money back no so it's not looking good for it's them it's not all their money back and I guess the problem is just as with typo squatting, well, how do you how do you know what's the correct spelling of a website of a company that you deal with once every three years on Black Friday? And the answer is you kind of don't. So, how do you tell? Mm. And that's the real problem here. People go, look, are you saying that I should never take never take any risky investments? Because that's the whole idea. You know, you go and buy a stock, it could go down and you lose everything. You could buy a property and it turns out that it gets a compulsory purchase order three weeks later. And So is the answer to this to start regulating cryptocurrencies or is it not oh, possible? That's a whole other podcast. The problem here is that the problem here is that for many people, I do you know, I I don't want this to sound like victim blaming, mm-hmm. but I think particularly with scams like this, pyramid schemes where they invest money and they use the previous investor's money to make it look like you've made something and there isn't actually a product, there isn't a supply, there isn't a demand. That kind of Ponzi scheme named after Charles Ponzi, who was I went to prison in the US in the early years of the 20th century for exactly that. Bernie Madoff is another guy who recently did got 150 years mm-hmm. um, for his pyramid scheme. That's not new. I think what's new is the fact that, that 
it's this way to get in that you're choosing to go somewhere where there isn't regulation right. and you're you're choosing to make the risky investment because you can see that for some people who are early on in Bitcoin, they did make loads of money out of this. So the point is, if you're faced with an investment, as, as Peter always said, if it's too good to be true, everyone says, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, forget it. If it sounds too good to be true, it it's is not, too good to be yeah. true. Yeah. So forget it. The problem... If you're being asked to invest in something and one of the real draw cards is, hey, guys, this way of investing will make more money because we're steering clear of all the pesky regulations that the man put in the way if we did this properly. <laughs> Maybe you need to ask yourself, why was that kind of investment regulated in the first place? So if someone's asking you to take an extra super huge risk. Remember, no matter how great they tell you it's going to be, what they are asking you to do, legit or otherwise, is to take an extra super a huge risk. Never, ever forget that. Yeah. Never, ever be, don't get blindsided. Don't get dazzled by the fact that when it comes to cryptocurrency and crypto coins, someone can talk the talk. The bit, original Bitcoin paper is just a few pages long. It's quite complicated, but if you ignore the mathematical parts and you just read through the principles, it's actually really easy to get enough of a working knowledge to be really glib and cool and sound great about it. And do not be do not be taken in by websites that appear to be showing you transactions. It's just a website. As Peter said, it can have Is an there HTTPS any way you can certificate. Check these oh. transactions I know. Well, I, I think when it comes to investing of any type, I think the main question you just got to be asking yourself is, can you afford to lose this right. amount of money? Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. that's the real question. If you mm. can't afford to lose it, then invest less. Yeah. You know. And, you know, don't, don't go and pitch it to your friends and family just because somebody else told you to do it. Yeah. Mm. And be wary of the fact that if you've, you haven't made money out of something until you actually Get concretely money. have your money back plus the extra. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that someone says, here's a £200 bonus, that doesn't even come off your capital that you can see in this online account. A website that just contains facts and figures there's no guarantee that they're legit. So the major cryptocurrencies, if I'm thinking here, say of Bitcoin, Monero, Ether, etc., with those, there is a public blockchain. It's a database. It's enormous. You can download it. You can, or you can get an IT savvy friend to download it and show you tools that will actually list the transactions in it. And that you can go to 17 different people and they can have their own copies of it. So the, the whole idea of a blockchain is that it is a, a community-wide, a distributed database. And if one person creates a fake version, it'll show up because everyone else's will be different. So if one person's got a blockchain and they say, oh, look at all these transactions, that could be all a pack of lies. The fact that it's cryptographically signed, they could have signed it. There's no community engagement that gives this peer-level protection. And if there isn't a blockchain, and there's this big story about, oh, no, 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 you're buying in early. And then when we launch, when the blockchain starts, you will have a million of this and everyone else will be buying in and your million will go from a value of zero. Even if it goes up by one cent, you've made $10,000, haven't you? If there isn't a blockchain, then all talk about blockchain and its security is completely and utterly irrelevant and you should ignore it 
probably a scam. Yeah. And of course, they all put a padlock on their website as well. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. But I'm glad we gave this story extra time. I think it's very interesting. Um, so, as always, follow us on social media. We're at Naked Security. We have our brand new YouTube channel. And Duck and I will be filming some new content for it this week. Um, so, guys, where are you on social media? At DuckBlog on Twitter and at PDucklin on Instagram. Peter? Uh, and I am Alt Shift Print Screen on Twitter. Uh, you can also, I'm doing a keynote speak at Channel Evolution mm. Europe in Park Plaza, Victoria, London, and that's December 2nd. We are talking about uh, the hot new ransomware target, you. Uh, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's <laughs> uh, aimed it's at, not funny. no, Sorry. it's aimed at MSPs and cloud hosting providers. So uh, if you're there, come say hi. That sounds great. Yeah, well cool. done, Peter. And I'm at Ali Rouge on Twitter, so do give us a follow and let us know what you think of these episodes. We're getting lots of really positive feedback and reviews right now, which is helping us get more like equipment for the studio and things. So do carry yeah, on. That's why I keep writing them. <laughs> Thanks, guys, and until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.